Thank you for joining us. This is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fishery science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Fisheries Pod. If you are the generous sort, you can be like Garrett, Walker, Ben, Janet, Robin, and John, who all support the podcast on Patreon. Through Patreon, you're able to support the show with either a recurring or one-time donation, which helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Podcast shirts, hoodies, stickers, and face masks on our Teespring store if you feel inclined. So check it out. Our guest today is Ray Valley. Ray is an aquatic biologist with marine electronics company called Navico and co-founder of Biobase Automated Mapping Technology. In the early 2000s, Ray began his career with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources doing fisheries research work with a focus on aquatic plants, fish, and lake ecology. That led him to a fascination with the mysterious and complex underwater world of shallow lake environments or littoral zones. Ray spent time researching methods to use sonar technology to map fish habitat, and as consumer sonar and computing technology got better and better in the mid-2000s, the opportunity to develop an automated mapping platform with low-cost consumer depth finders rose. In 2012, Ray made the jump from the DNR to the private sector, where he is still employed today. Welcome to the podcast, Ray. It's great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. A lot of people get into this field because they love fish, and then they fall in love with sampling fish, but not many fall in love with the aquatic plants. Uh, when did you develop a passion for aquatic plants? Uh, you know, it was probably uh, as an undergrad. Uh, you know, you when you get internships, you kind of get you kind of take what you can get, and it was an internship with Dr. Ray Newman at the University of Minnesota, and my job was to. Um, uh, he was doing Eurasian water milfoil research and Eurasian milfoil is a invasive aquatic plant. And um, part of his research was to collect samples of uh, Eurasian milfoil in uh, Twin Cities metro area lakes in Minnesota and actually inspect the, the stems for damage by weevils that, that um, eat the plant. And so I spent my summer scuba diving in Eurasian water milfoil beds and um, just being amazed and fascinated by this complex underwater world, these submerged, I call them submerged forests, and to really see how the fish relate to the aquatic plants, like kind of like birds relate to trees in a forest. And uh, so that just, that just kind of started that fascination. And then sticking with that plant theme, your master's project, uh, that you eventually went on to take part in uh, involved aquatic plants, uh, that architecture you referred to, and, and largemouth bass. How does all that fit together? Well, there was, uh, you know, and I have to like dig deep into the archives of my of my brain here to remember all the stuff that uh, I was so deeply immersed in at the time. But, um, you know, largemouth bass and the research that surrounded them was uh, there's been a lot of work done on the relationships of largemouth bass and aquatic plants. And the, there was always kind of this, the, a lot of research focused on trying to find this magic percent cover of aquatic vegetation for trophy largemouth bass or best, you know, a, aquatic plant growth for um, the, the, you know, just the best bass populations. And it was always kind of a, uh, kind of a fleeting um, object or kind of a, a difficult task to find what is that that sweet spot of aquatic plant growth and again thinking about how complex these submerged forests are 
I started to realize it's like, well, again, we're almost asking questions. It's like, well, gosh, I wonder, you know, what's the optimum tree cover for some species of bird, whatever you, you pick, whatever forest bird you're talking about. And you talk with a forester um, and, you know, that question will almost be silly to them. What, what do you mean? Like what kind of trees, like what kind of forest arrangement, what kind of landscape? To, I mean, there's more to the equation than this. So that's um, kind of what led me to some of my experiments with doing more, um, looking at the architectural structure of aquatic plants. And um, it's just, it's just always been a, a, a fascination of mine, both the relationship between fish and their habitat. I guess when I first read that uh, it was architecture of plants, I was I was envisioning the the shape of the plant and its least itself. Uh, is it that, or is it more like the community of plants that all form the the pocket together? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think it's you know what the what's the like a, the strength of a diverse a diverse aquatic plant assemblage is that diversity of growth types, and those growth types you have some species that grow very close close to the bottom. Um, species that are more canopy species and uh, just the diversity of these different um, the patchiness patchiness is also another another thing that's important that as fisheries biologists we just we haven't been a we haven't uh, done a real good job of uh, quantifying what that patchiness is is and like and how the fish relate to that and part of that problem is we just we can't see underwater we 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 can't make these observations like you know a forester can you know fly a plane and now a drone um and see you know this this kind of bird's eye view literally of uh of the forest it's hard for us to to do that in lakes hence you know that's kind of my fascination getting into sonar and being able to you know a technology is that gives us kind of those virtualized underwater once you finished up that project at michigan state what was next in your career path did you land a job right away or did you bounce around temporary employment for a while no i was uh fortunate enough to find a job with the uh as a research or a aquatic biologist with the forest service in my home state of Minnesota on the Chippewa national forest. Um, that was a relatively short tenure. I really want to get back into bona fide, you know, fisheries research. I really, I really, I really loved um, lake research, fisheries research. And so I was fortunate enough to um, a job opened up in the, in the twin cities area uh, for fisheries research biologist position and I, I jumped on that opportunity and, um, yeah, and did fisheries research for uh, several years and then eventually moved into a coordinator position and building a long-term lake monitoring program. While you were with the Minnesota DNR, uh, fortunate for you, I guess, the Minnesota lakes, there's lots of lakes and lots of those lakes have lots of vegetation. Uh, so you were able to play around and do some, do some more research on quantifying and uh, I guess some other general research on on aquatic vegetation. Not not exactly by choice. Uh, so I, I did a, a research project with that was just focused on building methods, building methods, and it was using a commercial echo sounder to map aquatic plants um, and map the abundance of aquatic plants at a very granular level. Um, and I did that for like three years and a great and different kind of lake types to try to understand kind of, you know, how the, the, the lakes habitat, um, you know, in different lake types, uh, 
how that how habitat um, exists in these different lake types and then what effect that might have on fish well I spent this three years just focused on the methods um, simply from the standpoint of I wanted to establish these methods so that I could actually do the fisheries research but no one else no one else there there these methods weren't developed for using uh sonar technology to to map aquatic plants and so I kind of had to teach myself geostatistics and hydro the fundamentals of hydroacoustics and whatnot simply to get the habitat data that I wanted to do the fish research so um but it it was fascinating stuff uh but yeah that was early in my DNR career um which later led to more to more fisheries research down the road. But first I had, we had to get those methods straightened out. When you were learning all that, were you able to go uh, take some courses somewhere? Did you just have to buy a book and, and read through it and struggle through it on your own? <laughs> Both. Um, there was a, a course that I took uh, in the beginning of my career at DNR. It was the fundamentals of hydroacoustics and it was a course led by Biosonics. We were using their technology at the time. Um, and so I went to Seattle for a week just to kind of learn the basics of hydroacoustics. And, uh, and then we had this, we, we purchased this, the research unit purchased this big, you know, this commercial echo sounder. And, um, so I had to, I had to just learn how to, how to use that. And then, um, I bought a book on geostatistics and essentially, you know, taught myself that, um, taught myself advanced GIS. I took just a basic GIS course in grad school and then um, got more hot and heavy with it in, uh, in DNR. So a lot of that was self-taught as well. You were playing with all this uh, geostatistics and uh, mapping stuff. And I guess you, you got into that. When did you know it was time to make the jump from the public sector to the private sector? I didn't. Um, I, I, if you would have, if you would have talked with me, um, in, you know, 2010, I would have said, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, DNR for life. Um, I love the job. It was, you know, and like every other job, uh, you know, you, you have your highs and lows. There's, there's frustrations, but there's also little, you know, there's also great things about it. And I, I enjoyed the job. Um, but you know, there was these two entrepreneurs that founded the company contour innovations and their focus at the time was, well, they were actually uh, building a, uh, they had a little electronic device that, that, that had a little GPS chip in it. And back in the, you know, in 2010, you know, not all the fish finders had GPS in them. Um, and so this thing had a little GPS as a little black box. And what they're, what they were going to do was they were going to create this business um, where you could plug and they got these adapters, they got these adapter cords to all the different brands of fish finders and you could plug it into the back of the fish finder and it would sniff the sonar data into this little black box with a GPS. And then you'd plug that in to your computer, your USB, uh, USB slot in your computer, and you'd upload that to their platform. And this was for guides. This was for guides where they could go out on a, on a lake and they could go and they could record their trip. And then they would annotate it with, with notes and things like that of what guests should use that want to purchase that trip. Um, and they would, you know, they, they would do that online. So it was a way that a guide could, could sell guide trips through this technology. It was technology. It was a, it was really, really cool, but several years ahead of its time. Right. So, um, but the capabilities were there and, and, uh, to do some pretty cool, like 
boy, like this is this is this is data that you're able to collect from these low cost fish finders um, and process that information for. And they were and he and the, one of the co-founders was a was a um, developer from Microsoft and an entrepreneur and want to kind of build this, this business. And uh, and he found me at the DNR because he was developing his his MBA at the time. And it, he, there was a project that he had to do, a capstone project. Um, and so he was thinking about, well, what else can we use this technology for? And he thought about whether, well, maybe, you know, uh, research biologists or whatever could use the information for, um, for creating lake maps. And so he, he found that I was doing some similar work with sonar and he found me in my little cube in the cube farm. And, uh, and he just showed me what they did. And, and he asked me like, do you, would you guys find this technology useful? And at that point, I was just blown away. I was absolutely blown away. And like, this is the future that I've been waiting forever for you to show up and show me this. Um, because that's the whole time when I was doing this stuff with this really expensive equipment and uh, doing all this, this really intensive work and trying to teach myself like, you know, how to do geostatistics. The whole time I'm doing this stuff, I'm like, gosh, computers do this now. Why, why, why am I, I'm a fisheries biologist. I want to do fisheries work, but I couldn't get the data. So anyway, the, uh, he showed me how they could automate that with off the shelf technology. And I was hooked. I was like, I want to, I want a piece of this. I want, I want you guys to be successful. I want to help you. Um, and just one thing led to another and uh, we created the bio-based platform and <laughs> the kind of, the rest is history. A lot's happened since then. That was 20, 2011, 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. Um, a lot's happened since then, but that was, that was, that was the beginning of kind of this, this new career. Yeah, so you, you just mentioned that that was the start of BioBase. I guess what is mm-hmm. BioBase, um, and and how has it grown today? Yeah, so I'll uh, yeah try to be brief. Um, but uh, what what BioBase is is again the, I, I kind of discussed the the roots of that with this. Uh, the concept is is taking your off the shelf depth finder that you already have on your boat. Um, right now it's, it, it, so it's specific to Lowrance. Uh, Lowrance is the, um, is the exclusive file format that BioBase processes. Um, but the concept is like when you're, when you're out on the water body, you're doing your survey and you've got your fish finder running, you see, you can see the bottom, you can see, and, and now the resolution of these, I mean, the, the technologies developed so much that. Um, I mean, these, these things are pretty amazing. I mean, these are pretty sophisticated electronic devices. And what you see on your screen, I mean, that's all data. So when there's aquatic vegetation growing, you see the fish arches, you see all that stuff. I mean, that's data. And so what, um, what we do is we capture that data, save that file format on that SD card. Um, we built the website, we built the, the, the cloud-based architecture, the backend architecture, and the algorithms that process the raw sonar signal and the GPS signal, and um, does all that processing automatically um, and creates, a, creates different map layers, depth, uh, aquatic vegetation um, abundance, uh, biovolume percent of the water column that's that's filled with vegetation and bottom hardness and that's all on the on the sonar signal and it creates these 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 layers that are um integrated into you know in bing maps you have a big maps you know satellite background 
and there's other various online tools that you all use through your web browser and you just upload it and all the processing is done automatically and your and the the data outputs are are created um, quality controlled and um, and you also have different tools for for editing and if you want to change some outputs you can do that so it's not it's not completely black box um, so so that's that's a concept and we were we were kind of first out the gate with I mean now the the subscription economy I mean it's got a term the subscription economy right like everybody has got subscriptions to you know you name it and everything's in the cloud and we were kind of one of the first out the gate in this in this you know in the field in the industry um and so um that's just it's just grown um since then um bio so it's a subscription tool and that's how we started the business is is you purchase a, a year subscription for unlimited uploads and um and so that that grew in popularity that's that and we had two products we had the for the for the for governments and for researchers and 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 uh fisheries managers that was biobase but then there was also another consumer um platform for anglers called it's now called genesis uh cmap genesis and that creates an online map for for um anglers uh so those are the two the two the two products and then we were acquired by navico um and navico owns the marine electronic brands uh Lawrence is the most household name in inland fishing and then there's simrad which is more coastal and then bng which is sailing uh but and then also the cmap mapping uh embedded maps and, and cmap creates uh the cartography um so we were acquired uh by navico in 2014 and then we've kind of grown since then and now Navico has evolved to well now Navico was acquired by the Brunswick Corporation and Brunswick is now and Brunswick is like the leading is the um, uh, biggest you know public marine company in the globe owns Mercury Marine and a lot of the major boat brands like Lund and Boston Whaler and Sea Ray and whatnot um, so and the company has a sustainability mission and Biobase is at the center of that sustainability mission and so it's become a company. Um, uh, mission to be concerned about conservation and biobases at the center of that. So it's, it's been a big, a big success. We continue to grow. Um, so long winded answer, but yeah, we, we've tied a, a lot of years in the, in, into a couple minutes here, but so you kind of ran through it a little bit uh, about how mm -hmm. it all works. Um, so we run mostly Lawrence units in Kansas. So if I wanted to go map a lake, uh, I mm -hmm. guess, walk me through that process. Mm-hmm. Sure. So most Lorance units are are um, are compatible. You just have to be able to record the sonar sonar log to a micro SD card. You put that in there. You put that in the slot, and then through um, depends on what age your unit is, but um, it's a it's a you know it's a like a single tap on the power button, and it will give you a menu to record your sonar, uh, and you can make kind of make the choice on on what you know, do you want to just map passively? Let's say you're just kind of going out to your net locations or your sample sites and you just kind of want to pa passively map, you know, while you're puttering out to the sites or you can even get up on plane and go and, and the system will cleanse all the bad data when you're up on plane going, you know, 20, 30 miles an hour. It will, it, it won't record that, that data because it's just going too fast. Uh, but when you slow down, it'll start, it'll start, you know, recording that data again. Um, 
And uh, so you can choose to map passively. Like, so in other words, this is kind of the concept. Well, each time we're out there, if you're going to one lake a lot, you can slowly build a map and you can merge those outputs in on the BioBase website um, later. Um, or if you want to do active mapping, let's say your, your objective is to create a lake map for that lake to understand the current, you know, trend, current patterns of aquatic plant growth or just get a bathymetric map. Um, that was a, a really interesting work we did with Nebraska uh, Game and Parks that um, was doing a rotenone project. And so they needed to know really precise estimates of water volume to calculate uh, the rotenone concentration. And they used BioBase and just nailed the water, con- you know, the, the water concentration. They, ex- they bought, they purchased only what they needed at rotenone and it was a, you know, a perfect kill and it was a successful lake management project. So that's an example of another fisheries application. Um, but uh, yeah, you record that sonar take the SD card out when you get back to the office, you put that in your computer, you go to the website, you sign in your account, and uh, and then you just hit web upload, you navigate for the file, it uploads, it recognizes uh, who you are, where it is, what lake you're on, and it puts it into your account, your dashboard, lists the water body where you're at, and then it gives you a, a viewer of where you can view that data and you can view the sonar recording and then you can also merge multiple files together into a, a kind of an aggregated output. And then you can export those GIS products or for um, statistics, you can export them into a statistics package um, and do a, a range of analyses with them. So I, I think you said in one of your previous answers, or uh, if not, you said in one of your emails to me, Biobase, there is now a free version available to conservation yeah. agencies and uh, university researchers. Um, mm-hmm. how does, how does one go about signing up for that? Is it just as simple as going to the website and clicking sign up? Yep. And we have, um, so that, 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 uh, free model is kind of part of our, our, um, you know, sustainability offering to say, Hey, we want to encourage, uh, users to, to use our technology to, to map lakes and to inform, you know, your conservation decisions and research, so on the on the very home on the home page there uh, right in the banner it, it says where you, you know you click on the link to apply here, um, and then the, on the plans page that's another place where you can get to that application. And all it is is a very very short application, just saying, you know, um, you know Nick it would it would say you know who who you are. It would say you know I work for Kansas Wildlife and Parks. It would give your email address and and you say hey yeah i'm interested in signing up and that's really all it is and um and then you can register for an account and we put um and the terms are it's 20 gigs 20 gigs of um 20 gigs of free free use and so that's a good year year and a half of pretty pretty modest use it's kind of one of those things it's it's the more you i mean if you use it a lot if you're going to be if you're going to be doing a lake mapping program for the state, if you're going to be mapping all of Kansas's lakes, at that point you'd probably need to then subscribe to the paid one of the paid plans. But for a lot of the casual work that that many DNRs will do occasionally, the the free platform works works well, and it's all that you get this all the same features you get the all the premium features and of um of the of the major you know premium paid plan all in that free, that free plan. And so you mentioned uh, the, the Nebraska 
mapped their lakes to figure out the volume of the water they needed for a rote known mm -hmm. uh, treatment. What are some other uh, interesting projects that, that you know of that have used the bio-based platform? So that one's probably the most fascinating one from the from a, a, a bona fide fishery standpoint. Um, also, uh, electrofishing, it works really well on electrofishing boats. And often those things are kind of puttering around and going at a real slow mapping speed. So it's a great way of coupling, um, you know, your, your, uh, fisher, uh, you know, your electrofishing catches with habitat and maybe doing some correlation analysis with that. Um, it's, it's used a lot in before, after aquatic vegetation uh, treatments looking at the, the, you know, before a, like an herbicide treatment or harvesting and after it's, it's rapid and gives you a, a real quick picture of before and after. Uh, so those are the three, um, those are the three uh, major um, applications that, that, uh, that come to mind. Um, there was one, uh, well, I, I should back up a little bit. So actually Ben Neely and um, from, from your Kansas uh, Parks and Wildlife, um, or Wildlife and Parks, sorry, um, and Jason Schooley from Oklahoma Division of Wildlife, uh, ODWG. It's hard to remember all these acronyms. Of um, Anyway, they did some uh, paddlefish work in Oklahoma together using the bio-based hardness metric to actually develop a, a composition um, model for uh, paddlefish. And so they did a paddlefish habitat suitability study using BioBase. So that was another great fisheries example um, of how the technology is used for fisheries work. I guess we might be a little bit past where this question should have been put in, but uh, how does sonar tell if it's the bottom or vegetation or how hard the bottom is how does how does a fish mm -hmm. fish finder or depth finder uh determine all that information it's complicated but uh, the 200 kilohertz frequency well and actually down scan is getting to be pretty good too is getting to giving you a really good picture of bottom but um for identifying bottom through plants uh, that 200 kilohertz frequency is kind of the, the sweet spot. In other words, it, it's strong enough or it's a, um, it's a low enough frequency to penetrate through vegetation, but it's a high enough frequency that it doesn't penetrate too far into bottom. So it just, it, it usually does a pretty good job. That frequency kind of does a pretty good job of identifying where that bottom signature is under the aquatic plants, but it doesn't go too far into bottom. You get some of your lower frequencies and it, it's just all mashed together. You just see this, you, you can't clearly see where that bottom is and where the, where the, where the bottom starts and where the plants end or begin, whatever. Um, so anyway, but we're looking very detailed at that, 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 acoustic signal to kind of find where that break point is. And it's remarkably like it's, it doesn't, now there's always, there's always exceptions. Um, there's times of the year when the vegetation grows really, really dense and you just got these mats. You got matted vegetation that is just when you're just, it's socked in. Sonar will have a hard time punching through that. 
So, and, and you'll, and you'll kind of know right away, you'll know right away, looking at your depth. And it's like, yeah, that depth's riding up into the plant canopy. You know, you're, when you're going to have those problems. Um, and then for the bottom hardness, uh, bottom hardness through vegetation is we, we, we don't do it. So if there's veget if there's vegetation above some density, we say, nope, we're not going to even try to do bottom hardness because bottom hardness, you need to be able to see the, the, the looks at the kind of the the um false echo and the that's the the second echo that's below the surface because that and that's formed by um a hard bottom the echo will bounce multiple times off that bottom and hit the hull of your boat and go back down again and so um when there's aquatic plants growing in that that zone even if it was like kind of a hard sandy zone the plants are going to affect that bottom hardness signal so we have ways of like identifying, okay, this is an area where we have low confidence in the bottom hardness. We're not going to even try to compute a bottom hardness score there. But in these open areas, we can, we can look at the bottom hardness score. Um, so that's kind of the, the basics on how those different layers are, are, um, are created. And now, like I, I, I with, talked about with downscan, downscan is a different kind of sonar beam. It's like a narrow elliptical beam. It's kind of like a copy scanner. And so that gives a different picture of the bottom and it gives you actually more detail, almost like the, you can almost see the leaf structure of the aquatic vegetation. We're not there yet with regards to creating like an automated machine learning system for plant uh, detection, but with, um, but the technology, the proof of concept has been done and, and published. It's just, um, having the, um, the, you know, the funding um, and the business case, if you will, because it really, when it comes down to getting developer time and um, that a lot, it, a lot of that comes down to funding. And if the business case isn't there, if there's not investor funds, it's a lot of times that technology doesn't get developed. Um, but uh, it's, it, and we're, you, you know, in this industry, it's, it's, we're, we lag behind a little bit. We're, it's slower. Eventually it always comes, you know, we, we, we get the stuff, we, you know, that technology kind of trickles down. And I think, you know, you know, within 10 years, you'll see, you'll see, you know, aquatic vegetation bottom or aquatic vegetation species typing. And I look forward to that day. I've been a boat owner for about seven years now. And I guess even going back to when I wasn't a boat owner at, in undergrad, we learned how to map a lake by sticking a rod down and measuring depth and airing that into GPS. And then when I bought my boat, I bought a, uh, sorry, I'm, I have hummingbirds on all my stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I, well, I won't think it, Nick, I won't think any different of you. <laughs> I bought it specifically because that was when uh, hummingbird announced auto chart and you could, yeah. you could do the mapping uh, from mm -hmm. home buying, buying their software. So that was why mm -hmm. I bought that. Uh, and then, then now a lot of depth finders have that built in as, as you're driving around, you can map your yes. lake. Um, yes. So how can researchers utilize some of this new technology to answer fisheries management questions? Uh, I mean, that's just kind of a, how things have advanced in the 10 year span. Uh, but uh, I guess, how can, how can fisheries researchers utilize some of this new technology that's coming out, uh, like, like live scan technology? Yeah, like, okay, so like there's, and there's also too, um, live, live sonar, right, where you can see the fish swimming around. Uh, there's the side scan, and I didn't 
talk about the, you know, like side scan mosaicing that's been done. And there's been, you know, I stand on the shoulder of giants, you know, the Adam Litz and, um, or I'm sorry, Adam Kaiser and Tom Litz. Uh, sorry, guys. Um, those, those guys, you know, they, they were kind of the, the, the first out of the gate looking at, you know, using consumer technology and saying, wow, this stuff is, and Humminbird was to their credit. They were, they were kind of first on the scene with that side scan technology. And, uh, and, and, you know, those researchers, um, they, you know, they, they started looking at how we can, um, use it to, to map, you know, river habitats and, it's still a valuable feature to this day. We're still, and we're working on, we're working on that feature as well. And, um, but so that th- there's a lot of other technologies that you talk about the um, auto, auto mapping and the Lorance units have the same, uh, same technology. Now it's called Genesis Live. Uh, but that's kind of cool because you can go into these completely uncharted lakes and um, get a live contour map. Uh, one example that, um, has been useful for some of my work and from what I've seen other researchers um, use it for is let's say you're in a dammed a, a dammed reservoir where maybe you're not quite sure where that channel is and you want to really kind of map that channel well with the Genesis live mapping you can go back and forth and it's creating that contour map and it's in live real time mapping that river channel and so you can then see the river channel and you know kind of in live you know in real time and be able to then okay and then now i'm gonna okay i'm gonna go back and trace the middle of the you know the thelweg here and create a real nice live map and while you're doing that recording your sonar log and then you can upload that to biobase and then that basically archives it in your cloud account so um so that's just, I mean, and that's kind of stuff, the technology stuff. I'm, I'm still, a, um, I'm still a fisheries biologist at heart. I still love the the basic biology of, uh, and, and basic fisheries biology, but I'm also kind of a tech geek as well. And it's just really exciting technology. And it's just really cool to be a part of, you know, developing technology that helps fisheries research. I saw on the BioBase website, a, a tab titled, social map and was surprised that people mm. even in my neck of the woods had contributed uh some of their data to it i guess tell us a little bit more about that and any other citizen science type things that are in the yeah. world yeah thanks for asking that question um i'm actually going to be going to the american fishery society meeting in spokane uh at the end of august and um i'm delivering a talk about angler engagement and, and talking about um the bio-based technology and also social map and the uh, millions of acres that we have in uh, the social map database from around the globe, um, and that the social map is is crowdsourcing, aggregating all these sonar logs and putting them into an aggregation bucket and creating, um, you know, it's like community mapping to 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 map some of these really large lakes which you could never do on your own. Um, so it's pretty cool. We we tapped into a, a, a pent up demand to have this information where you can't get contour maps. And so we the social map. So check out the social map. It's on, um, you know, if you go to the Biobase uh, web page, biobasemaps.com, you'll see social map up there. And that's most of those sonar logs are from the, our consumer Genesis platform. Those are consumers. But we also, as part of our sustainability mission, are wanting to partner with more researchers. So the researchers that are listening, that if you have some citizen science projects or you want to look at um, 
you know, we have all, like I was talking about, you know, we develop, we have these, the vegetation data we have, I should also mention there's water temperature in all the transducers. So we have uh, data um, for the, the, the aggregated database. It, it goes, it's to, it's 2018 and, and newer. So it's not, you know, we can't go back a long time to look at like things like temperature dynamics, but it's very comprehensive in terms of the spatial distribution of, of all that data. So we have aquatic vegetation biovolume. We got all these depth statistics like max depth, average depth, um, water temperature, and we um, there's a, a project um, with the it's Midwest Glacial Lakes Partnership at University of Minnesota was doing some some work and was able to use our data to help inform that uh, Midwest Glacial Lakes Partnership work that's looking at climate change um, uh, uh, sensitivity of lakes and using our data for that. So that's another aspect of that, and where we want to kind of be a, a partner with with researchers and sharing some of that that data that's all really really fascinating stuff and i think we could probably talk for another hour or so uh <laughs> about a lot of this uh so thank you for all of your answers so far about your past and your work with biobase but but when you come home what do you like to do when you're not working oh i i am a, a diehard angler um i'm not that good but um i i love to fish and um, when i'm not fishing i'm thinking about fishing uh, but, uh, you know, also I'm, I'm pretty active in my community and active in my church and, uh, on the fire department. And so it's, it's, I always find a, a way to, to keep me real busy. And then, you know, my family's really important as well. And, uh, wife and two kids and two boys. And so it's, it's fun watching them grow up. And, uh, and I love, you know, I, 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 I love my home and in Minnesota, it's, it's great. And it's, and the, uh, then the people I work with is just, you know, it's a, it's a great, it's a global, you know, Navico is a global company, but we have a kind of a small development team in, in the Twin Cities area that, that maintains the Biobase and Genesis platform. So, you know, when you use the platform, you, um, and you need support, you still, you get to talk to a person. It might, it might even be me, um, help you through it. And uh, so there's, you know, still kind of maintaining kind of that, that real person, you know, feel it so it's 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 real nice so have you ever been helping a project out looking at their maps and then thought man i need to go fish that body of water and then scheduled a trip later on like all the time all the time like when i look at so, like social map right mm-hmm. like there it, it is it's well no to tell you the, the 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 best story about that is um uh the boundary waters canoeing area of minnesota is kind of this destination location. Nick, have you ever heard of the Boundary Waters in, yep. in northern yep. Minnesota? Okay, um, it's it's just oh, it's just God's country. I just love it up there. And uh, the lakes, the lakes, interestingly, were were mapped. A lot of them were mapped in the 30s by the the Civilian Conservation Corps. I think it was uh, one of the a New Deal program. And boy, that would have been so cool to be part of those teams back then. I mean, talk about complete, you know exploration of of a virgin landscape you know and it was uh but so some of our the some of the maps that we have up there were original maps created in the 30s and those were with in in canoes and the boundary waters in the 30s i mean can you imagine and that was what you know and they were using old plums and you know uh you know and planimeters and all kinds of things i hardly even know that i would never even know how to how to use them right mm-hmm. um but <clears throat> 
but now the, the 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 new age version of that is well now i got my little lawrence elite five and on my little kit with my uh with my lithium iron phosphate battery that's half the weight now of those lead acid batteries so you can you can bring that stuff into the boundary waters and um it's absolutely fascinating so with that live mapping with that genesis live i was able to create a live contour map and be recording that sonar and um and then i uploaded that to social maps so if you guys are interested in the boundary waters area you can pan around up in the boundary waters and you can see you'll be able to see some of the maps that were created and it's likely that that was me um and so those maps now can be used i mean when you look at now the structure there was things that were nowhere near that the, the map that was created in the 30s was so far off and so we found structures that no map has and so it was a really neat kind of discovery discovery thing um and that's what's fun about that's what's fun about mapping that's what's fun about this job is just it feels like you're kind of a an explorer if you will mm-hmm. so i'm still still really fascinated about that yep i know when uh when i first got the the auto chart on my hummingbird i, I would just drive around and, and map different different things and spend more time driving the boat than actually right and fishing so. yeah I, I mean it, it's isn't it amazing like it's the clarity of the units now and it does give you a picture of that underwater world and it's fascinating mm-hmm. yeah and it, especially the live sonar and you know all the companies make the live sonar now but i mean it's amazing how you can watch these fish and you can watch their behavior mm-hmm. and this is stuff that we could never observe before other than you know scuba diving in a really clear lake but now we can we can observe kind of passively from the surface and see these things swimming around down there. And they're relating to structure in really interesting, unique ways. So we're learning a lot about fish um, just just by observing them. And that's that's fascinating to me. And I think that has a lot of implications for 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 research as well, as well as as well as fishing. So we, and that's the thing here. Right. So we can we can. And that's one of the things I've always believed in. Let's harness the size of the fishing market, right? Let's harness that, that research, the, the, the money that, and the demand that that has to develop mm-hmm. those products. And what we are doing on what my job is, is like, how can we just tweak these little things here and there to create, create something of value for researchers? Um, so that's kind of my MO. And, um, and yeah, I think, and, and I think you're seeing in the, in the field that consumer technology really getting more and more kind of, um, well, people are, are really taking a hard look at it and saying, you know, I don't know if I need this costly equipment to do this work. I can, can do a lot with my, with my Lorenz step finder, you know, mm-hmm. so well, right. Uh, now the tough part of the interview is over as we are down to the final five questions. And this is a group of five <laughs> questions that we ask each of the guests to come on the show. And we always start real simple with what is your favorite fish? Oh, boy. Yeah, you, you, we start simple. It's a favorite fish. What's my favorite fish? Um, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go with sturgeon, lake sturgeon. Yep, I, that's one of my favorite I just every fall we have a we have a great sturgeon fishery out my back door and they're just fascinating dinosaur fish. So I'm going to go with that. All right. And what is your favorite memory from your career so far? It would have to be that day when 
my partner, Mike Lowenstein, was the co-founder of Contour Innovations, found me my cube farm at DNR and started asking me these questions about this, the technology they've developed and whether that would be useful for researchers. I still remember that day. And it sounds like you're having a lot of fun, but what is your dream job or dream location to work in? That's like asking me what I want to be when I grow up, and I haven't figured that out yet, right? <laughs> um, gosh. You know, sometimes I would, I, I'm fascinated by, I remember, you know, looking at these old, um, these fisheries handbooks. I think there was one, um, and there was the Carlander handbook of, of fisheries or something. I think there was a one in Becker, it was a Wisconsin, um, Wisconsin book on fish. And well, and then there's my hero, Elder Leopold, right? Sand County Almanac, the best book ever for, I mean, the Bible of, of, you know, conservation and the days of, I kind of lament the loss of kind of naturalism. Um, and just like, like to be, that would be so cool just to be paid to just go make observations of, of fish and nature and just mm-hmm. marvel at you know, the, the, the black chin shiner, you know, and, and uh, just the, or these little species that don't get much mention or fanfare. They're just, it's beautiful. Um, And uh, they're just, they're still just, I don't know, waiting to be, waiting to be rediscovered, if you will. So that's, I guess that'd be my dream job is to, you know, just call myself a naturalist and get paid and get paid to do it. Yeah, well, that, that kind of leads into the next question. If money was not an issue, what is one project that you would like to work on? Oh, man. Gosh, you know, if money wasn't an issue, you know what I would do is money was an issue. I, I, so I'd have money, the, the funds that I need to do the work that needs to be done that I, I'd like to see done. So um, I'd like to, you know, develop that. I know we can do it. I know we can do the... Um, aquatic plant species typing. Um, so I'd go get the, the developers and the engineers and using the machine learning algorithms and like, we're going to develop this feature. I don't, I'm not going to do a business case because I got the money to do it. And there's a, there's a, there's a backlog of features, right. That I would just like invite or have a symposium at AFS and invite all of like, what do you guys want? What do you guys want to see? What do you want technology to do that's going to help you uh, do good fisheries work and, and conserve uh, fish populations for future generations? Um, I want to be a, be, you know, help develop that technology to do that. So, Finally, if there is one point or one principle that you could have programmed into everyone's head, what would it be? You can't fix what you don't measure. I've been waiting for an opportunity to use that saying. <laughs> Well, Ray, thank you for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure hearing about you and, and in your past and your, your present now with Biobase. Um, if people want to get, find out more information or get a hold of you, what would be the best way to do that? Well, first, thank you for the opportunity, Nick. This has been, this has been a lot of fun. I'm glad that you're, that you're doing this work. Um, and it's, you know, you're, you, it's, you're just doing this on the side. And it's just great to see the organic uh, growth and interest that you've uh, spawned. And so that's, that's great. I wish you the best of best of luck, best wishes, and hope to cross your path uh, someday, maybe at a a fisheries meeting um, or work with you um, to help you help Kansas um, 
wildlife and parks uh, do do fisheries work with uh, with our technology. Um, but the best play, the best way to get a hold of us is biobasemaps.com. Um, there's there's areas there throughout there that you can contact us. And like I said, we have a pretty small team, and you contact us through those one of those routes, and we'll get get back to you um, pronto and work with you on you and you and you know lean on us to to add you know to to and and talk with about talk with us about your specific needs and we can get you and we're gonna be totally honest with you you can tell you and we'll tell you yeah no that's kind of pushing the limits of the technology or like yeah that that's a total that's that's totally doable and we'll actually offer suggestions on kind of the best way to to uh, the best equipment, the, the the equipment you would need, and how to go about deploying it. So happy to help there too. And if people are interested in the the free government agency or research uh, version, how do they go about getting that again? That's right on the front page of biobasemaps.com. There is a there is a banner image on the on the front that says if you're an environmental agency, you, you know, click here and it'll take you to the application. Uh, the application lives on our plans page. And so on the banner on the top of the, the web page, you'll see plans. And then that's where you'll see the, um, they'll, they'll, you know, I, I talk now and I'm sure like in a, in a, in a month, this will probably change. And the plans page will be, the plans page will always be the plans page, but where exactly you navigate to find the information Um, there might, it might be another page level down, but the plans page is where this application lives. Fill out that application, sends it to us, and we'll we'll contact you right away and get you started. And and that also includes we got discounts on Lawrence Hardware. We can get you set up to purchase the hardware direct um, at a at a pretty nice discount. <clears throat> so uh, just contact us. Let us know what your your hardware and mapping needs are. And if you would like to get a hold of me, you can find uh, any of us on on the fisheries podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at fisheries pod or old fashioned email feedback at the fisheries podcast.com. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can download past present and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream it from Spotify or the fisheries podcast.com. And don't forget, you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome fisheries podcast logo shirts and hoodies available on Teespring. I am Nick Kramer, and thank you for listening to the Fisheries Podcast. And remember, you can't fix what you don't measure.